Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia, and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food culture. Today, I have on the show Lim Boon Kian, who is the founder of Bangla Lim, and I came across his stall through a feature on today, and I was very intrigued by this partnership between a Singaporean and a former Bangladeshi construction worker. So, in this episode, I speak with Boon Kian about the mission of Bangla Lim and also how it seeks to help the less privileged. In our society. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm very excited to chat with you. I read about you and Yusuf on your on the feature, so I would love to find out more about you and how this all started. So, um, could you tell me how you got introduced to Bangladeshi cuisine? Um, okay, maybe I should start um, a bit way before, because during the the COVID back in April last year. Yeah, I joined um, MOM as a part-timer, as a contractor. So we went around to dormitories to to look at the way of life. So it's mainly to contain a virus. Mm. Yeah, but we ended up being friends with them because we spent so much time with them. Yeah, so that was when um, I was really open up to this migrant worker issue. Mm. Like seeing how their living quarters, the food they ate. So it's quite sad lah, to put it this way. Yeah. So after that, I spoke to my longtime friend because he's been uh, employing Bangladeshis for the last 10, 20 years. He's in the construction sector, which is the company I am right now. Yeah, so actually I got to know the, the workers quite a while ago. As in, we used to have some parties in the dormitories. They call it a party. It's like um, every, every month, there will be a weekend, they cook. Yeah, so they cook their Bangladeshi dishes. So uh, I was like, hmm, let me try. Because I've seen the, the food there, the normal, I'm saying normal as in the day, day-to-day ones. Lah. The quality looks bad, lah, as in you wouldn't even want to, to touch the food. So I was very surprised, like, oh, actually Bangladeshi food is really nice. Mm. Yeah, so I, I approached the guy who's cooking. I said, uh, that's Yusuf, lah, my, yeah. my partner. Lah. I said, ha, hey, um, bro, can you tell me what's in the ingredients? So the same questions that people are asking me now, nowadays. Mm. So I, because I'm a chef myself, as in I, I'm not really a chef, but I cook a lot at home yeah, mm. for my family. So I started to find out more about the ingredients, the spices they use. So I was very, uh, yeah, like, like you, I like, find it's so interesting. Maybe you should try doing this someday. Yeah. Yeah. So we went on, uh, we decided to, to go to his place or my place. We started cooking. Bangladeshi dishes. So um, there's one day, <clears throat> that was when I decided that we should start a shop. Because I told him, uh, we are not targeting migrant workers because they don't have the money. Yeah. I mean, to put in a very blunt, blunt manner. So we should, how about we open this up to Singaporeans, let them taste this uh, very beautiful food. But can I buy something better for you? That means I spend maybe about $500 because there's quite a lot of people in the dormitories, like maybe about 50 people. Mm. So I said, buy the best food you can get. I want seafood. I know Bangladeshis love seafood. Because usually they just have the normal like beef, mutton, which is very, very good to them. It's like a treat. That's why they call it a party. Mm. Yeah. So can I have um, seafood? I want to see how you do it. So that the first dish that I tasted was the prawn. So I was like, wow, I think I'm going to sell this dish. Yeah. It's going to be not just for the money, but I think it's something that a lot of Singaporeans will love. Yeah. So next was the fish. I think the fish, yeah, my wife loves the fish. She can finish the entire fish. Yeah, so we tried uh, different types of fish and so on. Yeah, so that was my first experience sometime about um, June or July last year. Mm. 
So you mentioned that you first went into this trying to contain the coronavirus, right? So before yes, the experience, what was your impressions of um, these migrant workers? Mm, okay, the first impression was they are very dirty. I mean, I'm being very frank here. Yeah. But that's what we saw firsthand. The dormitories were dirty. Their living areas were very bad. Mm. So it was our job to get them to clean up, segregate them into um, their working groups, which is groups of five. Yeah. Because they used to be like, you know, everyone is like communal eating, they share food. So we told them to stop holding hands. They are not supposed to um, eat with their hands. I mean, they, if they really have to, please wash your hands and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a culture shock to them. That's mm. why we were there. Yeah. So we went there almost on a daily basis. We spoke to the employers. So everyone knows the, the, the danger of that. Yeah. By, by that time, everyone knows because it's like 1,000 cases a day in the dormitories. Yeah, yeah. So there were so many cases that we, of course, we were in our full PPE and so on. Mm. Yeah, so it was where we started to make friends with them. And after a while, they actually understood what we were trying to do. It's for their own good. Mm. Yeah, and that's how we became friends. So every day we'll get information from them. How many people report sick? Uh, it's really like army. Lah. So how many people are not feeling well? So we got to test them for their oxygen levels and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone falls sick, of course, we will call for conveyancing, which is to send them to the hospital. Mm. Yeah, and then of course the, the COVID test that came in later. It was much later that they were able to we'll do the swab test for them yeah. uh, every two weeks. Mm. Yeah, so all this was part of our daily routine. Uh. So what started out as a, a three-month contract, I actually extended for a year. Wow. Yeah, because it was quite meaningful and I got so many friends. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, something which I didn't know that I would do because it's like we always look at them, it's like um oh they are dirty, you don't get close to them. Yeah, but after knowing them, I, whenever I see someone on the street, uh, like maybe doing road works or something, I'll feel um, a sudden urge to buy him a meal. Because I, I know that they are eating very lousy food. Yeah. What exactly do they eat on a daily basis? Okay, um, the catered food for, for the dormitories usually come in the form of um, breakfast will be uh, some bread. I think they call it some, it's not prata, but it's something similar. I'm talking about Bangladeshis only. Because the Indians, they have a lot of varieties. They are very much assimilated to our society because we have Indians here. So their food choices is quite uh, quite a lot. Yeah. But for the Bangladeshis, they are forced to eat Indian food. So sometimes they take prata, just the curry and so on. But that's not what they are used to. Yeah. So lunch will consist of a lot of rice, plain rice, and then uh, some vegetables, and uh, a little, little bit of meat, maybe a one or two piece of meat. And it's not mutton, uh, probably chicken. And it's very sad because by the time they have their lunch, the food is not just cold. It's, some can be rotten. Mm. Because of the quality of food that they are getting from the caterers, uh, I suspect they are getting from those um, so-called about-to-expire supermarkets. Yeah. That's how they can make their cost so low. Yeah, so each packet actually costs like $1.20. Mm. So they can bring down their cost to such a... Like, I am recently joined FMB, so I know my costing. There's yeah. no way you can get such a low COG. Yeah. yeah, so I, I suspect they actually got those um, almost expiring vegetables and meat. Which is why by the time they eat during lunch, okay, these catering um, companies, they actually send the food way before they start work because they have to go to site by 7 or 8. Mm. The food will be delivered to the dormitories by 6 a.m. Mm. They have their breakfast, they will pack their lunch out. Wow, and it just sits in the yes. sun? Yeah, under the hot sun or under the rain. Yeah, so some of them, they, they'd rather go without lunch. Yeah. Because the food is un not edible uh, or yeah. it's rotten. 
Yeah, I mean, this is an extreme case. Of course, there are some better ones. The, the bosses will buy them a better food and so on. But it's the real set cases and it's still happening right now. Yeah, so you got yeah. to make friends with them. But, you know, it's, a, it's quite a leap to go from friendship to business partner or working together. Yeah. So how was Correct. that process like? Okay, in the beginning, a lot of people were like uh, making fun of me. I mean, sad to say. Because we have this um, discrimination against them. Yeah. In fact, the... Dave was asking me, what, do you, don't you think Bangla Lim is like a bit derogatory? I said, no, because the word Bangla is, is just them. Just like if you ask me, are you a Singaporean? Yeah, you can call me Singa Lim. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so there's nothing derogatory about this, this term. So it's we ourselves who make them look like, because they are cleaners, they are low-level workers. Yeah, so making friends with them wasn't difficult because when I was, part of my work is to engage them. We call them up, we, we text them, ask about how's your health and so on. So after I got to know uh, Yusuf better, we just hit it off and just uh, why not we just start this food, food business. Then yeah. my partner, which is the, the real partner, which is the boss of Yusuf's boss, he actually my um, ex-school, um, I mean ex-army buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to, for the same BMT training. So we are still friends right now. So he was the one who said, uh, okay, lah, I'll give you my guy. You'll do whatever you want. Yeah, um, because he also appreciates his cooking. Everyone loves his cooking in the entire factory. But was it yeah, difficult he, telling your your family what you were gonna do, which is start this business venture with a Bangladeshi worker? Uh yeah, nobody thought I was serious. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, they they know I love to cook, but it's the same question. But why Bangla food? Mm-hmm. So I said, there's two there's two main reasons. Of course, number one is more for um, <clears throat> everyone must know. I want everyone to know about this food because it's something like, uh, for example, you see mukata, you see uh, mala, hoko, and so on. Probably about five to ten, year, ten years ago, you don't see that so so many of them in the food courts. Yeah. But right now, I think every coffee shop you'll see one yeah. or two. Yeah. So I want people to understand that actually Bangladeshi food is not just for low-level people. Mm. Bangladesh is a country. They have their culture. I think they are very proud of their food culture as well. Yeah. So they deserve to be made known to the public, the general public. Yeah. So yeah. So I started out with these two goals, which is number one, of course, is to introduce this cuisine to the public. And number two is to let those um, poorer workers to have another option, to have better food, which is why I started um, selling cheap to, to them. Lah. Yeah, I, I give them a discount. I think I saw on eight days that you guys are offering them at a discounted rate of $5, right? Instead. Yeah, $5 flat, correct. Mm. Yeah, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, um, these two goals of starting this project, um, so in a way, you kind of see it as activism, right? Mm, like, yeah. it's not just about doing a business, but it's also about showcasing the cuisine and also about, Maybe make, making a statement about how Singaporeans and Bangladeshi workers can work together in this. Alright. It's how we should treat them. Yeah. And yeah, so it's very how, important. How has the response been? Uh, so far, of course, more good than bad. Of course, there are some who think that we are just doing this for, for the business. I mean, you, you can never stop people from saying whatever they want. Mm. But most of the feedback was very good. Like people like you, I think you, you saw the... <laughs> Uh, what we are trying to do. La. Most people will see the, the good part of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. As in, we are not just here for, for the profits. Of course, we are a profit company. I'm a profit-driven company. Yeah. We have to survive. Yeah, That's why we are selling the normal price to Singaporeans. 
Hmm. I yeah, found it really fascinating about, I mean, like one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview, uh, inter- mm. interview you and feature your business was because I feel that even though migrant workers have been such a, you know, big part of Singaporean history and they've been in Singapore for such a long time, um, their food is not really well known by Singaporeans, you know? And yes. it's so sad because Singaporean cuisine is known for being like a mishmash or like a rojak of so many different yes. cuisines. Correct. And we are exactly. so accepting so many different cultures and, and food. You know, like we have, mm. like what you mentioned, mukata. you know, we love our Korean food, we love Japanese mm, yeah. food. But why is it that we have become so selective? You know, only some cuisines are known or enjoyed or are mainstream. Exactly. Why do you why think why, why do you yeah. think Bangladeshi food has not been highlighted, you know? Yeah, I think you, you, you are actually you can read my mind actually. I, can say, I will say that. Okay, because I believe people that um, I mean, I believe that people are thinking that Bangladesh is a poor country and there's also a lack of entrepreneurs from Bangladesh itself. The people who come here are mainly the, the lower skilled manual, manual work laborers. Yeah, okay, so it's exactly what I was feeling because, um, like for example, Japanese cuisine, uh, even Thai cuisine, yeah, they are so well known right now. Everywhere in the world, you can see them. Every corner, you can see them. But why is it that Bangladeshi food is not so popular at all? When if you talk about food quality and food taste, they should be on par with any of the countries. There should be no uh, better or worse, you know. Every food has its own culture, heritage. So the problem is no one is doing this, which is the reason why I started this also. Mm. I think we should be able to showcase this to the general public that, hey, this is actually quite nice food. You should try it. Mm. Yeah, this is why I always tell my customers, you should try it and uh, I, I don't say so much, you just try it and you'll know, which is what happened to me. Mm. Yeah. So do you participate in the cooking as well or does Yusuf do most of the cooking? Uh, okay, to be honest, I'm not so good because his spices are quite challenging, complicated. I, I will tend to forget. So even if I write it down, I might miss certain part of it because, okay, there are more than 10 to 15 spices per dish. Although the, the spices are quite similar for most of the dishes, like for example, for the beef and the mutton, we use about seven to eight similar spices. But there are times that we are not able to achieve the kind of taste, the consistency. And this is what I, I need. I don't want to have a, a kind of food whereby today is nice and tomorrow it tastes different. So we've got to be very consistent. And he is capable of doing that because he's been doing that for um, his dormitories. That means he can cook for 50 to 100 people at one time. Whereas I'm only good at cooking for maybe my family, 10. Yeah, and you must understand one thing about cooking. Um, it's, it doesn't work like a ratio in math. doesn't mean you cook for one person and 10 person, the percentage will just times 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't work that way. So I, I'm afraid that I might not be able to be as good as him. So um, right now, Yusuf does almost 100% of the cooking. Whereas I'm doing most of the selling and talking to people. And yeah, recently I got a lot of um, interviews and people talking to me about this. Uh. Mm. So I'm actually quite busy with all this. Yeah. And given that your, you said that your main target audience was Singaporeans, right? Rather than mm. So why did you choose right. your location to be at UNOS? Oh, okay. This is a, another good question. <clears throat> I was looking around for a nice place, of course, with very low rental. Because we know that we are not going to be able to, to sell a lot daily. No one knows about us. So the first thing I need is a big space. So you might want to take a look at my kitchen. Uh-huh. It's twice the space of a normal store. 
So we need this space because uh, I anticipated there will be a lot of deliveries during this period of time. So we need a place to pack, as in packing for the, the tapau food. Yeah, so this is the first criteria. Then number two, um, yeah, I think the first criteria is the, the cost, of course. Number two is the space. Then number three is because my friend was the one who introduced me the space. He said this place has been vacant for a few months. Traffic is so-so, but I think that's not what we are looking looking forward to. Lah. It's not one of our main, main concerns because we are thinking of de delivering to a lot of um, dormitories, for example. Yeah. And then, yeah, and we slowly sell to uh, on these platforms like Bread, Panda, and so on, which is what we are doing right now. <coughs> so yeah. to us, the location is not really a, a big uh, consideration as compared to other FMB or eateries, whereby they have to find a place where, like, near the MRT station or with, with a lot of human traffic. So that wasn't really top of our priority. Yeah. So when mm. Yusuf's friends found out that they was that he was starting this thing with you, what what were their reactions? Oh, they, they went crazy. Okay, <laughs> because we spent a lot of time in the dormitory. There's a kitchen over there. Uh, it's in Tuas, by the way. Yeah. So I would drive all the way there. We have uh, some chit chat. Then I'll buy some food stuff. Okay, let's cook today. I mean, that's only on days where he's not working, <clears throat> because you know the construction. There's a crunch, so there's shortage of workers also. So we didn't get to do that very often. So every time I go there, the workers will be very happy to see me because they know number one, they got good food to eat today. Mm. Yeah, then number two, this because they have the Bangladeshis they have this um very strong bond about brotherhood. Mm. That means they'll be happy to see their friend become become good. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a saying that goes, I don't know if you heard of this before. The the Chinese, we're talking about um laborers, uh, the MWs, the Bangladesh workers, the Chinese who are here. They're jealous of each other. If this guy becomes a foreman, he will want to he'll feel jealous, he'll be sad. You know, he wants to be better because Chinese are more selfish. <clears throat> the Indians they will think of ways to, to bring down the guy so that he becomes a, the foreman or supervisor. But for Bangladeshis, they are happy for someone who has become become good lah, after working for maybe 13 years in Singapore. So this is what this is a saying that goes uh, but probably it was spoken by a Bangladeshi, a bit biased to the other countries. Uh. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, so they are very happy to see him like this. And in fact, you know this t-shirt that we are we have? They all of them asked for more of this. They wanted to wear this shirt. Oh. The other workers are not in this project. Yeah. Everyone is so happy for this. Because yeah, sorry. Well, I think the main the main thing they are very happy about is because <clears throat> their food is finally being recognized. And being sold in, in the public, like just like other Singapore cuisine, Japanese food, and so on, Korean food. Yeah. Uh, like finally, someone is doing something for them. Representation. Yeah, correct. So, what are some of the you know the national dishes that you guys have on the menu? Okay, the very prominent ones um, will be okay. They usually come in the four major uh, meats, which is chicken, mutton, beef, and then seafood. So seafood will consist of, uh, for, for now, lah, because we actually wanted more, but I think we should take our time because we need to um, let more people know about us. So we are just selling the, these are all the common staple. That means any Bangladeshi in the, on the streets, once they see this, they'll know, oh yeah, my mom can cook this. So it's so common um, food that it's like a staple. So chicken comes in three, uh, three different forms of cooking. There's malai curry, which is the one that we are selling because it's popular with Singaporeans. Mm. Yeah, we actually tried a few different types. 
Then, okay, basically all the meats are cooked in three varieties. It's either malai curry, which is coconut based, buna curry, which is more spicy, but um, drier. And then they're just normal. They, they don't have a name for it. They just call it curry. So it's either beef curry, chicken curry, where it's actually not curry. It's actually just made of spices. But uh, it tastes a bit like curry because of the turmeric. But they do not use any curry powder at all. <clears throat> That's so interesting. The main difference between Bangladeshi cuisine and Indian cuisine, we do not use any curry powder or curry paste. Everything is made from this form from the spices. It's a mix. It's a mixture that creates slightly tangy, um, smells like curry, but it's actually not curry. But they don't even they themselves do not have a name for this. They just simply call it curry. Yeah. yeah. So you can actually. Sorry. Oh, I know, right? In India, there is no such word as curry. It's like a very, it's like a yeah. concept that, that that does not exist. Anything. In, All right. What about yeah, in Bangladesh? Yeah. Uh, they do. They do. I actually uh, found out from them. For certain dishes, they just call it beef curry, for example, or mutton curry. But it's only after you taste it that you realize that mm, this is not really curry. Okay, in fact, the Malai curry tastes like a bit like our curry because they use coconut. Mm. It's coconut base, uh, coconut milk, so it's a bit sweet. So that's the one that's, that really tastes a bit like curry. Other than that, I would just call it a spice mix. Do they use yogurt in their curry? Because like Indians, they tend to put yogurt into their Indian curry, right? Yes. For certain dishes, we do. We put a bit of yogurt. Mm. Yeah. And what about ingredients? Like, is it easy to source all of the ingredients for Bangladeshi uh, cuisine? Okay, there are basically about, like I was saying, 10 to 15 spices on average. But total, there will be probably more than 20. Most of them can be found in a typical Indian or mama shop. Yeah, or grocery or minimart. But there are some which can only be sourced from a Bangladeshi minimart, which is found in Little India. Oh, okay. You guys go to the wet markets at all to buy ingredients? Um, I used to, but because of our halal certification, and some wet markets they do, do not come with the halal cert. Yeah, so I ended up buying from this company called Anglis, mm. which is um, a well-known um, food distributor. So they do have every halal cert attached with every box of meat that we order from them. Yeah. So what are yeah. some new cooking techniques that you have picked up since learning from Yusof? Okay, so okay, I I think the way to cook curry is a bit like how I think my grandma used to do. First, we blend garlic, ginger, and onions into a paste. So this paste can actually be used to cook our curries as well. But they they add some things like um, bay leaves, cloves, and uh, a few other spices. Of course, not forgetting turmeric, which they call yellow powder. Then there's chili powder. Then depending on certain dish, they use pepper powder as well. And then, yeah, sometimes they use yogurt as well. So after that, we add in the, the meat, which is quite similar to how we do it actually. So it's more or less, technique-wise, technique it's not so much of a, a difference. It's the mixture of spices and the choice of spices. Mm. Yeah, so sometimes you, you omit this, but sometimes you add this. So that's the tricky part. So do you feel that food is a good way to bridge the gap between migrant workers and Singaporeans? Yeah, definitely. Because talking about this, I have a story to share as well. Prior to um, this COVID-19, I was stuck overseas for like maybe two months. So I miss Singapore food. So I understand how food can be uh, <clears throat> something that we crave for and it makes me very sad. Yeah, and being a foodie as <laughs> myself, I find it so sad that they cannot even eat something that they like to eat. So they are eating something that doesn't 
for example, prata. So I was asking them, but you you do eat prata, right? They say, yeah, but it's not something that I like. So do, you do eat brani, right? but it's different from my brani. Yeah. But they are forced to, to eat it. And for the past 10 years or so, they have to eat something that is <clears throat> not what they wanted. Yeah. yeah. So I think with this, it's the best way to, to talk to them. Because I think Singaporeans always look at food as a, almost everything. If I ask you out for a meal, it's like, it's to talk. Yeah, so if I send food to you, it's a gesture of, uh, I think, a, a nice gesture. Like my neighbors, they cook something, they'll just send to me. So I cook something, I send to my neighbors, something like that. So I, I do believe that food is something that we can actually open their hearts, talk to them, find out what they want. That is so true because I'm not sure if you know, but I'm, I'm currently residing in Australia. And, oh, uh, Australia right now? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I'm not able to go back to Singapore for the longest time because of wow. COVID. And um, wow. I think this really led me to have like more empathy for migrant workers and domestic workers in Singapore. Yes. Because how do you do it? You know, being overseas for so long, returning once every maybe two years, three years. Mm. The only thing that you have is food, right? That is able to yeah. transport. Correct. Something very basic. Something very simple. Yeah. It's like you can eat until you cry kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> Of any of such stories of, of Bangladeshi workers who have tried Yusuf's food and felt very emotional about it? Um, a lot. Many of them. In fact, sometimes they will communicate in the language. So uh, I believe it's something like, hey, your food is good, you know, this is the taste that I've been craving for, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but having said that, Singapore is not totally devoid of um, Bangladeshi restaurants. There are quite a few. But they cater only to um, a certain segment of people who go to Little India. Yeah, and these are probably the ones that um, have a little bit of money also. Because they just charge a... It's about the same price as what I'm selling, but it's a restaurant. Yeah, so a brandy probably goes for 7 to $8. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, I did my market survey. I pretended to be a customer. I went to buy. I mean, I really tried. Lah. So, it's, it's, it's the quality is really not there. Because they didn't really want to... Uh, how that? To make the food become glorious or, or something like that, or glorify the food. You just want to sell something just to just to run the business. Mm. Of course, there's a demand for it, but unfortunately, I, I believe it's not the direction that they should be doing. If you need to publicize your food, I think you really need to sell it and differentiate it between um, Indian food and Bangladeshi food. Even up to now, even up to now, they still think that a lot of people still think that Indian food and Bangladeshi food is the same. And they are designed the same way as well. So when you walk into the restaurant, I really can't tell unless I know because I happen to be a little bit well-versed in Bangladeshi cuisine. Otherwise, you will just think it's Indian cuisine. Yeah, so this is what I can highlight. And that's the difference that we want to make. Yeah. So what is hmm. your dream for, for, for this stall or for, for this business? Okay, I think in order to make things more accessible and also to... Just like what the, the Chinese did to their mala and the, the Thais did to their mukata, I hope more people will be coming forward to do something similar as like what I did. <clears throat> yeah, of course, it would be better if I can open my second or third outlet. Then, of course, I make a lot of money. I hope so. Then we can help more people as well. But I think the most likely scenario will be more people doing the same as what I do. And of course, you must extend always extend the, the kind of um, support. That means... Thanks. 
uh, discount must stand for the migrant workers. We are not making their money. They have to be very firm on that. They are just here to, to help us build our buildings and so on. So we should really help them as much as we can. I mean, I'm even trying to think of some ways to do the... There's this paid-forward scheme or something like that, a yeah. movement. Yeah, but I'm worried about the integrity thing because people might think I keep their money. Mm. So how do I show that this this food goes into the MW's mouth, yeah. the, the worker's mouth? Yeah, so it's, it's a bit sensitive, so I'm not doing it right now yeah. until someone comes forward and... yeah. yeah. I'm very curious, have you always been so socially minded or socially conscious? To be frank, not really. I have been a businessman for many years, so I've always been very profit-driven. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to be, to be frank. I mean, of course, we do some donations and so on, but not to the extent of what I'm doing now. Because after this stinks with um, MOM, it really opened my eyes to a different world, that this is not all, all we need. I mean, money is not everything. We really need to be socially responsible. We need to help the people who really need help, the needier people. Mm. Yeah, because we are born lucky, we are Singaporeans. Uh, no matter how bad we are, we, I mean, we, we never die. Lah. We put it in a very blunt way. We can find a job. Um, you, you can never be so poor that you cannot afford a meal, that kind of thing. There probably are, but I think they have to do something to, to upgrade themselves. And yeah, you will never be so hungry in Singapore. Mm. But these are the people who are really, you know, they are so low that you don't even see them or you pretend not to see them. Mm. Yeah, and it's very sad. Especially yeah. during this, this crisis, this pandemic, and you can see that they are helpless, they miss their families. And all the money that they earn, they have to remit back to the families. <clears throat> they have no life. They cannot even get out of the dormitories right now unless you are S pass and above. So yeah. if, you're, if you're WP, all you can do is go to the construction site, go home. So a lot of them, I can, since, I mean, I was working in M1 before, I know that they actually stop their lorries, come here to Tapau, and go back to work, or go back to, to dormitories. So I was like laughing at them, and said, you're not supposed to be here, right? Then they, she was looking around. So I said, don't worry, just quickly pack your food and, and go off. It's, it's all right. It's like you're in prison, you know? I mean, you know how it feels now, because you can't get out. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I felt also. During the SHN, when I came back, I finally came back, I felt exactly the same how, how they were feeling. You yeah. cannot get out of the room, you eat the same food every day, you can only video call your loved ones and so on. Yeah, yeah it's hard to explain. I, I need to be, you need to be there to, to feel it. Mm. Yeah, there's so many of them who cried in front of me. Wow. Yeah, because they were telling me, okay, because as MOM, we are, we are the first team, we are the first to respond to any of the what happened so uh, okay this one some things i cannot share because it's under the osa there are some who miss their families they threaten to commit suicide and so on oh my god so yeah the employers can't do anything the employers say okay i can buy you a ticket which is what they need to do but they can't really do or they have no power to help them in any any way so as an mom officer we can just be a listening ear to them so okay your father is suffering so i say i'll try to push for you to repatriate you as fast as we can yeah but this is what we can do but i think it's more of they see me with a badge and wearing the mom shirt they will probably feel better that someone is listening to them mm. because we are we are so-called representing the government yeah yeah that's right <clears throat> were you ever being viewed with suspicion like you know were they ever suspicious of your motives in helping them mm, i would 
I would like to say no, because uh, some of my colleagues, they actually had some letters written or emails sent to, to our heads in MOM to question whether we are really there to help them, especially the, in the beginning. But most of them, I think they could see the, the sincerity in my eyes because I was one of the, the first to go in and last to get out because I'm a bit, they, they call me the crazy guy. Because most of my, my teammates, they have never been through staying abroad for so long. And, un and the kind of stress and yeah because i went through a lot of hardship as well when my business wasn't doing well i mean that was to be fair to be frank that was one of the reasons why i joined this for some part-time income as well yeah. i was owing a lot of money to the suppliers and so on and there's no business coming in no income so i chanced upon this during my shn when i came back so i realized that eh, not bad this this job sounds interesting and i'm not afraid because i, I think if i have to get COVID, then so be it Mm. I mean, it's, it's really meaningful because there were two things that I did every day, watch TV, CNA, and looking for a job. Yeah, so I chanced upon this part-time job and that's how I, I joined. So I, I really met a lot of employers and a lot of migrant workers. Mm. It's, uh, well, I don't know how to explain. Yeah, so the main way that you intend to help the migrant workers through this business of yours is to provide them with affordable meals and then you're working towards a pay-it-forward kind of uh, scheme? Yes, um, but besides that, actually, there's another um, idea that I had. Okay, because of my work, I got to know a lot of um, employers. So these are the construction bosses. Yeah. That means un under them, they have probably like thousands of migrant workers. <clears throat> the minimum is probably like 50 workers and kind of thing. So I've been in touch with them, but I don't want to make it sound too pushy. Yeah, so I was asking them, can you do a once a month party? The same as what my, my very good friend did. And that's how this whole thing came about. So this party will consist of um, subsidized. That means you as an employer, you pay for a certain amount. Then you get the workers to pay maybe $2 or $3 per set. Mm. So you subsidize their meals so they can have a better meal. I mean, right now they're not allowed to do the communal eating, but they can still be segregated into their groups of five. Yeah. Or even two, up to you. So they can have their better meal once a month or I can even do a, a better subsidy. That means maybe the employer comes up with $2, I $2 and the migrant worker $1, mm. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm doing up this proposal to a few of the, the major companies which I, I used to work, work with. Uh. The employees are close to me because I help them quite a bit during the, the, the crisis. You know, I feel very inspired just listening to you talk about this and um, I, I really feel a lot for, for, for what you are talking about and your vision for the business. It's fantastic talking to you. I am really very inspired. Same here. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. You have been listening to Lim Boon Kian, who is the founder of Bangla Lim. Singapore really needs more people like him and I feel really inspired. So if you are in Singapore, I really urge you to give Bangladeshi food a try and to support Boon Kian's mission. So once again, thank you all for listening to the podcast and I'll catch you all next week.